We're looking at Colossians 3 and 4, and the title of the message is Up Close and Personal, Outside and Public. Let's open with a word of prayer. Father, we ask that you would ready our hearts to receive your word. And by your spirit, we pray for understanding that, Lord, you just turn the lights on. Help us to see clearly what you are saying and help us to run with it. Lord, we know that Jesus is king. And his rule and reign is a loving and just rule over our lives. And it is meant to infiltrate and will infiltrate our personal lives inside our homes in our public lives. We want it to. So God, help us to learn what that even looks like. I pray that this would be a very, a very applicable time. The Father, we would learn from your word and run with it. In Christ's name, amen. What does this new culture of following Jesus look like up close and personal right in the home? How should husbands and wives, parents and children, even slaves and masters, remember he's writing to first century Roman culture, how should slaves and masters relate now that they're submitting their lives to Jesus? Or when out in public, whether on campus or at a Saturday market or wherever, at work, what should conversations with people who have questions about faith and life in Jesus look like? We're talking about personal and public lives reshaped by the loving rule of King Jesus. So two things we're going to look at. Number one, up close and personal. And number two, outside and public. Up close and personal. Let's look here in Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 18. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only to win their uh, eye or when their eye is on you. Do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favoritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. And we'll stop there. Up close and personal. We're talking about a new culture inside your home. 
And a culture is a way of life. We learned this last Sunday. A culture is a way of life. And this culture, a culture involves attitudes and behaviors that are characteristic of a particular people. In our case, a particular person. It's a new culture that we're walking in is the culture of Jesus Christ. We've entered into a new life with new manners and new customs, and we learned last Sunday the new clothes are laid out for us that we're to put on. We're to put on Christ. And Paul connects the household, and you don't have anything more personal than the household, to this new culture. Here we have in these first verses that we read an example of household duties or household codes, and these were common back in, in the day. And so we, we, we you know, People would have received these household codes, but the main difference is the motive that Paul gives for living this way. Seven times he talks about what their motive should be in the Lord or to please the Lord. The Lord meaning master, the one who is superior over all, the Lord Jesus, the one who reigns. So this should be their motive, and that motive reshapes everything, their personal lives in every way. And in order to understand how radical this really would have been for the first century Roman household, I want you to listen to this quote which I stole from The Bible Project. Highly recommend you check out The Bible Project online. Very helpful tool in learning the scriptures. They say this, It was a highly authoritarian institution where the male patriarch held the power of life and death over his wife, children, and slaves. But here, the risen Jesus is the true master. In the Lord, the wife allows her husband to become responsible for her. And the husband is subject to Jesus by loving his wife and placing her well-being above his own. Wow. Radical reshaping going on, a remodeling here. This is Colossians 3.17 style living. We learned about Colossians 3.17 last Sunday, and it says, Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So as I husband, as I father, as I lead my home, can I do it in the name of Jesus? And however I'm doing it, it needs to be done in the name of Jesus. And so does this honor him? Does this please him? So what we're finding is, This is Colossians 3.17, Style Living, Home Edition. And some remodeling is going on here within the home. The household is being reshaped by Jesus, who rules by his self-giving love. And if Jesus rules by self-giving love, we need to fall in line. We've been transformed by that self-giving love, and we ourselves now are called to walk in self-giving love in every relationship. And he begins with wives. So he's, he's saying this in verse 18. Wives, in this new culture of Jesus, let your love for your husband and your faith in Jesus be expressed through submission and respect. Yes, I just said the S word. It's like a cuss word in our society. Sub- submission. I officiated a wedding not long ago for a friend, and after, after the wedding, you know, we're at the reception, where everyone's having a good time, the guest pulled me aside, and he said, man, that was great, uh, I loved your, your message, you know, not sure about all that Old Testament talk about submitting, I mean, you probably upset a lot of people with that one, but man, the rest was great. I said, hey, thanks, and I thought to myself, that was an Old Testament, 
but he thought it was. And the reason he thought it was is because it can come across as offensive. It can come across as oppressive, old-fashioned, outdated. I like how the message translation says it. Verse 18, understand and support your husband, your husbands, by submitting to them in ways that honor the master. In Ephesians, which is a letter that is a lot like Colossians, where Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus, he writes in chapter 5 of Ephesians, verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. He's writing to the entire church, and he's saying, submit. So we're all called to submit to one another out of reverence or adoration or awe for Jesus. I also want you to think about Jesus himself and his submission to the Father. Jesus is fully equal with God the Father. He is equal in worth and eternity and dignity and value. But Jesus didn't live to do his own will, but the will of the Father. He delighted to do the will of the Father. And his doing this was not a mark of his indecisiveness or his weakness. It was a mark of his greatness. In Ephesians 5, verse 24, it says, As the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands as the church submits to Christ. So as everybody submits, we're all called to submit to Jesus, so the wife is to submit to her husband. So throughout Scripture, the relationship between God and his people is compared to a marriage relationship. And so marriage is actually about that greater marriage between Jesus and the church, his bride. Jesus and those that he has redeemed uh, through his shed blood. We are the bride of Christ. We belong to Jesus. And marriage is this picture of that relationship. Marriage is a beautiful picture of God's covenant love. So within marriage, we model it. Husband and wife modeling that relationship between Christ and the church. We get to billboard. We get to display that relationship to a watching world. Verse 18, again in Colossians 3, it's not saying that women are inferior to men or that all women should submit to all men. There's a context here. What's the context? Marriage. Marriage is set apart by the Lord to put something else on display through it. That relationship between Christ and the church. Now guys, you can't, I just want you to throw away any delusions of superiority. We are not king. Jesus is king. And a wife's call is not unlimited. In other words, she shouldn't follow her husband into sin. And it's not unconditional. She should not subject herself to emotional or physical abuse or distress. It is voluntary. And wives, I want to encourage you, there is no one who will have a greater influence on your husband than you. You are called to be his most trusted friend and counselor. You have the power to build up or to tear down in ways no one else does. For real. (laughs) Now the temptation is to be a doormat or a usurper of your husband's role. Right? That's the temptation, one extreme or the other. 
And Paul's writing to wives and saying, in this new culture of following Jesus, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. But then he goes on and he addresses husbands. Husbands, let your love for your wife and your faith in Jesus be expressed through what? Sacrificial love. Sacrificial love and service. And listen, guys, don't be harsh with your wives is what he's saying. This is your calling, husbands. This is your responsibility that God has given you to come alongside uh, that co-heir, that gracious gift of life that God has given you in your wife, to come alongside her. No one else on the planet has the calling to love your wife the way you are called to love your wife in sacrificial love. Again, the message translation says, go all out in your love for your wives. Your wives. Go all out. Love your wife sacrificially. This, the idea behind this is this readiness to lay down your desires and your pleasures for the benefit of your wife. It implies patience and kindness, humility, courtesy, trust, and support, that you are eager to understand her needs and her interests. You're willing to do everything within your power to help her become the person that God created her to be. She should be valued and she should know it. Love your wife. When you love your wife that way, she will respect you. She'll follow your lead. You know, when I think about leadership within the home and even leadership within, within my home and my marriage, there is no one that I respect more on the planet than my wife's opinion. There's no one that I respect more. There's no one that I'll ask questions of more. There's no one that I'll look to for... Um, for their opinion and uh, for, in decision-making. We, we make decisions together. There are some things, though, that fall on me as the, the husband, as the, 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 the man who's leading our home and, and spiritually speaking, trying to lead the way as best that I know how. And, uh, by the power of the Spirit, I'm trying to model primarily what it means to be a follower of Jesus for my kids and for my wife, and I'm trying to make decisions that will lead ultimately to their good and, and hopefully bring out the, the, the gifts and the strengths of my wife along the way because she's my friend first and foremost. I want to love her sacrificially. Paul says in Ephesians 5, love your wife as your own body. I think guys get that. <laughs> love her as your own body. You know, I think I, I love this because every time I think about this passage, I think about times in the middle of the night where Valerie's like, I'm cold. I'm cold, I need a blanket. And I'm thinking to myself, you just woke me up. (laughs) There's a blanket in the closet in the hallway, and you're welcome to it. If I was cold, I would get up. I wouldn't just lay there all night shivering. And if I'm going to love her as my own body, I'm going to sacrificially Get up in the middle of the night when she says, I'm cold. I'm going to serve my wife, my friend, my partner, my co-heir in this gift of life that we have in Jesus. I want to love her. I don't want to be harsh with her. I think Paul and the Lord, more importantly, understood the temptation for men to be harsh. The temptation, though, for all of us, that pendulum, for us to either be a wimp or to be a tyrant. 
We could be that guy caught in the blinds eating a donut. I don't know. I don't know. Whatever she wants. She wears the pants. Okay, you don't want to be that guy. And you don't want to treat her like a child and be harsh with her. So Paul is calling us and God is calling us to self-sacrificial love, a servant leadership, to be that place, to be that person where she can be honest about her struggles, the one who speaks truth to her and, and, and also is her biggest fan. Don't forget the instruction here, the rules that are given for within the household are always going to be connected to Colossians 3, verses 12 through 17. As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. So think about this. We're walking this out in the context of our home as husband and wife. That's what we're being called to to model this beautiful relationship between Christ and the church. There's a context of respect and of self-sacrifice within that husband-wife relationship that models something so gorgeous, so beautiful for the watching world. Then he goes on to children. Children. What's he say to children? Obey your parents. Right now, this is my favorite verse in the Bible. What, he's, what he gets to, though, is he's, he's addressing children. Think about this. This letter is being read to the community gathered in a home, most likely. The Colossians, the, uh, the church there uh, met in several homes, most likely, and it's being read out loud, and children are there, and he's calling them to obedience. He's saying, obey your parents in everything, not just, you know, where you think it's, it's good to obey. For this pleases the Lord. So children... If you want to please the Lord, if you want to walk in a way that honors Jesus, obey your parents. So this is a call to maturity. It's a call to respect your parents. Your faith in Jesus, children, are, it's expressed as you honor and respect and obey your parents. Now, I know it's not easy to obey. I was just having this conversation with a child that I know very well. And it is not easy to obey, especially when you disagree with your parents. But obedience means making a decision before that circumstance that tempts you to disobey comes up. It, it, it means making a decision that before I hear something that I completely disagree with, with my mom or dad, I'm going to make a decision to hear them and obey. Now that's hard. All of us in this room know how hard that is. And so we should show grace towards our kids. But children, you're called to obey your parents. Fathers, now don't come come down hard on too hard on your on your children otherwise you're going to what you're going to crush their spirits you're going to embitter them you're going to discourage them and paul's saying don't do that and there's a real need for discernment on our parts as dads to know when to challenge our kids and when to back off to know when we're coming across just too overbearing uh, valerie helps me in this just a couple weeks ago, she said, man, you're on them way too much, and they feel it. And so on the drive to school, I'm like, am I on you too much? Mom, mom said I was on you too much. Yeah. Yeah, you are. I'm so sorry, bud. I, I really am. I know how I can get that way. I don't want to be that way with you. Please forgive me. 
You know how OCD I can get. Slaves. How do you live in this thoroughly entrenched economic and social structure? Roman slavery was not the same as the African slave trade that stains our nation. And yet it still stood as a barrier and it still provided the church with an opportunity to respond to an unjust structure of their day. But Paul didn't call for the emancipation of every slave in Roman society. Instead, he addressed it from the inside out. Notice he recognizes slaves and masters as members of the same household and he calls them to live within society in a completely countercultural way. Look what he says in Romans 3, verse 10. Let's not forget this. In, in, in Romans 3, verse 10, he says, And I put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge, in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. They're on equal ground in Christ. So the implication is that slaves are worshiping side by side within this, new, this community with their masters. This letter was delivered by a man named Tychicus, who we will learn about more next Sunday, and Onesimus. Now Onesimus was a runaway slave. Apparently ran away from a man named Philemon. We're going to look at the letter to Philemon that was delivered at the same time because Philemon hosted one of the house churches of the Colossians. And Paul sends Tychicus with this letter that we're reading with Onesimus back to Colossae to make things right. And we're going to learn all about that and that relationship with Philemon. But look what he says about Onesimus, the runaway slave, in Colossians 4, verse 9. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. That's how he talks of Onesimus. Even though Paul doesn't explicitly write, all slaves should go free, which is something we might have wanted to hear him say, he's sowing seeds that would eventually lead to the complete dismantling of this unjust social structure. So the gospel cuts through every barrier, slavery included, it cuts through cultural barriers, political barriers, personal barriers. And what we have within the church is this new, just beautiful uh, microcosm of the kingdom of God. It's people living on equal uh, playing field here. We're all at the foot of the cross in need of redemption, slave or master, child or father, husband and wife. We're, we're just, we have worth and value in God's eyes and all in need of redemption. And we're called to be brothers and sisters in Christ together. And that began to unravel that unjust social system as a slave became a brother. As a master understood, okay, we've got this social construct that really drives our whole economy as a Roman society. How do I treat my worker, my, my slave? Justly. That's how you treat him. As a brother, that's how you treat him. He tells the slaves, Work with sincerity of heart, with all your heart, as working for the Lord. In other words, he's saying, this master, this earthly master of yours, he isn't your real master. 
Jesus is. And how encouraging. How encouraging for those that are working within these particular households but are participating in the life of the church. How encouraging to have this read out loud in a public gathering. And then he goes on to masters. Masters, there is no room at all for unfair treatment. These slaves of yours are not your property. They are fellow members of Jesus' body. And they're to be treated with love and dignity. They're to be treated with fairness. They have value and worth and equality, and they are brothers. And by the way, you have a master in heaven. So again, he's reshaping the Roman household around Jesus who rules by his self-giving love. So some questions we can take away from this section might be, how do we work? What is our work ethic and why? For whom are we ultimately working? Do we live our lives and treat others around us and understand that we are all servants of Jesus? Serving the Lord Jesus? What's our motive for how we live, how we work, and how we treat others? How we treat the most personal relationships in our family, from husband and wife to children? What motivates us to treat one another that way? Do we understand that we have Jesus as master over our lives? How does his rule, his good and loving rule, inform the way we treat others? Very important for us to ask. All right, so that was up close and personal. It doesn't get more up close and personal than that, does it? Second, outside and public. The idea here in verse 2 of of Colossians chapter 4, the idea here, he's calling them to maintain prayer. Maintain a constant attitude of prayer, a habitual prayer life. That perseveres. He's calling them to be watchful and alert and thankful. He says, devote yourselves to prayer. Devote yourselves, being watchful and thankful. And then he goes on to say, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Okay, there's an invitation from the Apostle Paul who's been planting churches, he's been writing letters to the churches, he's been in prison for his faith, and now he's inviting the Colossians, who are new in their faith, to pray for him. And I don't want you to dismiss this as just a routine prayer request. Oh yeah, Paul does that every time he writes. He's inviting new believers in to be on mission with him through prayer. They are valued and they are entrusted with a responsibility to pray. He's talking about, he's been talking about personal the personal impact that Christ should have, and now he's, he's going outside in public, and he's saying, pray. Pray. Persevere in this. And then he's inviting them in to pray for him specifically. And he's asking them to pray for an open door. He is sitting in prison. And by this time, he would have been up to three years in prison. He doesn't say, pray that I get out of jail. Pray that I get out of prison. He says, pray for an open door for the mystery of Christ to be proclaimed and pray that I would proclaim it clearly as I should. That's what he wanted most. And he's inviting them in. Regardless of how long you've been in the faith, regardless of how young you are in Christ, you can pray. You can get desperate before the Lord. This is a good prayer for us to adopt as a church. Uh, I love this prayer request. What if we, as a church, started to pray this way? God, would you open a door for us? You guys know what that means. Just open a door. When you open a door, you can walk through. I don't know why I just kicked it. But when you open a door, you can walk through that door. That door is open for you. You have, you have the ability to walk through. Now, 
where you didn't before. God, would you open a door that we might proclaim the gospel in that person's life, in this area of our city, on the campus, at our workplace, in our neighborhood. Would you open a door for that to happen? And would you help me to proclaim Jesus clearly as I should? All of us should be praying that. Let's pray that. If, if we do anything this week, let's pray that prayer for ourselves and for our church this week. Well, finally, he talks about how they really should be interacting with those outside of the church community. What does that interaction look like? Man, our faith is meant to go public. And here's what he says. Be wise in the way, verse 5, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. You have a new culture, culture of Christ. It's true. You're in that culture now. New set of clothes laid out for you, but you're still called to engage the surrounding culture that God has you in. So we're not called to just huddle together in isolation and play it safe until Jesus returns. We're called to engage our community and our city. We're, we're called to be bold, to be courageous, to be humble. You might be the only representative of Jesus that people ever meet, truly, that they actually know up close. So your behavior, though odd at times, and I would actually argue it's just straight weird at times to people outside of the Christian faith. Let's just admit it. Our behavior can look really weird. If you've been in this for any length of time, maybe you've forgotten how weird we can get. But because it's so odd, people from the outside are going to look in and have a lot of questions in addition to just reading the Scriptures. They're going to be like, okay, what do you mean by this? And what are you saying here? And why do you act this way? Early Christians were... Uh, were some were labeled as cannibals because they were eating the blood or drinking the blood and eating the body of Christ. They were misunderstood as cannibals. You see, so there's misunderstanding that comes uh, from those who are outside the community and they're going to come with honest questions and Paul is saying, be wise. Make the most of every opportunity. Literally, it means buy up. Just make the most of every opportunity that you can and be wise towards outsiders. Let your conversation, he says, be full of grace, seasoned with salt. Your life and your words should have a vibrant testimony. What does this mean, seasoned with salt? Well, it, it's, salt was a preservative just like it is today, but it also uh, was a seasoning just like it is today. We put it on our food so it's not so boring, and, and it, it just increases the flavor. And he's saying, answer people's questions with flavor. Don't give them just some stock answer that you memorize from a book but with sincerity, answer from your heart. You know, an answer that you worked out yourself, that you're gonna bring with thoughtfulness and care, let it be flavorful. Let it be an interesting conversation. The goal is not to win the argument. The goal is, is not to sound super smart. The goal is to be gracious and wise with your words. Skilled in the art of listening, able to answer honest questions with humility and confidence. Grace seasoned with salt personal and public life. That's what he's been hitting on towards the end of this letter. A personal and public life remodeled, reshaped by the loving rule of Jesus, where Jesus reaches into and influences every part of our life. 
My prayer has been that we learn how to walk this out faithfully. I don't want us just to, to talk about it. I don't want us just to celebrate it on Sundays. I want, this to, to, I want the Spirit of God, by His grace, to equip us with the strength and the desire to walk out the things we've learned today. So as we close, let's, let's ask Him to do just that. Let's pray. Father, we ask that by Your Spirit, You would help us that you would work in our home in such a way that we would live mindful of the rule, the loving rule of Jesus, and that wives would walk in respect, voluntary submission to their husbands, that husbands would walk in love and not be harsh, dictators, that children would obey, that you would transform relationships within our society that are unjust and not right, That, Lord, you'd continue, Lord, to give us grace and wisdom as we interact with people outside the community. That we'd walk with wisdom. That we'd make the most of every opportunity. That, Lord, you'd help us, Lord, in every conversation, that it'd be filled with grace and super flavorful. That you'd help us, Lord, to be humble, to be courageous in our interactions with others. In Jesus' name, amen.